Is that on? Okay, great. Um, did you enjoy studying this week, the passage? It's not as easy as a passage as I thought it would be, is it, <laughs> once you get into it? But oh, I wish I could say so much about um, the pregnancy center. Um, I used to work for a pregnancy center back in Washington, and I wasn't aware that she was going to be here this morning. But I remember when I first became a believer, I went to go volunteer at the pregnancy center, and I thought, I'm going to go save babies' lives, you know, through what I do, which obviously it was from the Lord. You know, the Lord does all the saving. But the thing about it is, what I didn't realize is that it's the women. It's the women. You are saving two lives. The women um, who have had suffered from abortions. And we got many women who came in that multiple pregnancies. Um, that is where my ministry more was too in regards to um, we had something called heart to heart. I don't know if you have that here too, but taking them through the scriptures and letting them find the healing that's in Jesus Christ when women have experienced um, such a great loss in their lives. So they do wonderful work. If I could encourage you, we also did uh, baby showers. I know I probably shouldn't talk anymore. I probably need to get going, but we did these really fun baby showers for the moms that and that chose life for their babies, and then. Um, we would throw them a big party, and it was really, really fun. So I really encourage you to, to join with her if you're able to do that. But Okay, we better get started. Um, I probably should move this so I can see this better. Um, you know, there's many ways, I was thinking this week, there's many ways that people define themselves. Some people use bumper stickers, you know, to tell what they like and what they don't like. Some people um, have tattoos, you know, with something that represents who they are. And some people like to use printed T-shirts, you know, those shirts that say something on them. Um, my, the twins and I saw a, a young, like, kind of college-age kid riding around the town center last week, and his shirt said, I like beer. And it was, I thought, you know, we kind of chuckled at it, but then the funny thing is just later there was a woman in Costco that had a shirt on that said, I love Jesus and I like beer. No, <laughs> it was just like... So apparently beer t-shirts are the thing now, so go out and get yours before, you know, they're all gone. But anyhow, other people define themselves by their education, um, what comes after their name, their work, or their family. But today we're going to look at what defines us as Christians, and that's Christ in you, and the difference that that makes in our lives as we seek to please God, you know, in all that we do. Um, chapter 8, which I'm excited to go through at least the beginning of with you today, has been called just the mountaintop of Romans. It is truly, I feel, the most comforting chapter in the entire Bible. So I'm going to put up our outline. Maybe I will put up our outline. Still not working. Let's turn on. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay, so um, since we don't have a handout, I don't know if you want to write this down or not, but we're going to start with 8-1, in Christ, no condemnation. Uh, number two is in Christ, mindset on the spirit, and then in Christ, we live. So that's where we're going today, and um, I hope you don't mind if, if I pray first before we get into the word. Father, I just come before you, and I thank you for your great grace. 
You're the faithful God. You're faithful to all of us. You're faithful to teach us. You're faithful to every promise that you make in your word. I pray, Lord, that we will hear you this morning, that we will feed upon you, and that we will know exactly what you have for our hearts to hear. We desire in all things, Lord, that we have faith in what you say, and we desire that the name of Jesus will be magnified. Thank you for your precious Holy Spirit. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for these precious women that are here. May they be blessed, Lord, by your great love, which you offer us in Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, well, if you weren't here last week, we discussed the deserved wrath of God upon um, really an ungodly world, a God-rejecting world, and how God provided the gift of righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ in his atoning work at the cross, uh, which led to our salvation. And, or in simple terms, you know, God saved us, praise him. <laughs> That's what we discussed last week. But we ended last week with Paul really showing us an authentic look at the battle that was raging inside of him due to the flesh. And chapter 8 really addresses that battle. And though verse 1 can really summarize all of what's been spoken of in Romans um, up to this point. So we're going to begin today by looking at chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are those not the sweetest words that you have ever heard? I know they're very precious to me, even this morning. But we will not be condemned for our sin. And that is a promise from God. And neither was Paul, in spite of the battle that you know, he faced last week with the flesh that we saw. He did not lose his salvation. This is the absolute comfort of the gospel that we are called to believe. We were condemned, and now in Jesus Christ, we aren't. And it's certain, and it's final according to God's word. So we're going to look a little bit at this word, um, condemnation. And it's katakrima, which I don't know why it always reminds me of Krispy Kreme. <laughs> because you're condemned when you eat a Krispy Kreme. I know, no one probably sees it but me. I really don't ask. But um, anyways, if we look at it, it's a damnatory sentence, condemnation, punishment, fine, damage, judgment, all those horrible words, right? But when we put no in front of them, they're very sweet. No damnatory sentence, no condemnation, no punishment, no fine, no damage, no judgment, no nothing, right? Um, we went to court. It didn't go our way. We were condemned to death. And now in Jesus Christ, we're set free. But as we know, not even that, um, God also God, who is the judge, brings us into his family, and he gives us insurmountable riches. And most of that we're going we're gonna to cover next week. But it's a legal term. And I read this statement recently which said that Christians do not like hearing about salvation in legal terms anymore, right? They want something new and something exciting, more applicable. But the legal terms that Paul uses when he explains the gospel, give me super great comfort, and I'll tell you why. It's because God is the author of the law, right? And the law is the one that pronounces us guilty, right? Because we can't keep it. So only the author of the law can do anything for us, right? And he has no condemnation for us um, in Christ Jesus. So looking back at this lexical aid, though, which is at the bottom, 
it says that the word means to divide and separate. So there's no separation, like Rose said in her prayer this morning, between you and God. And it's so fitting, and I'm wondering if she, she was thinking along this lines too, because the last two verses of chapter 8 um, say that in effect. Why don't I show them to you here? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So no condemnation and no separation. Now the statement reveals a permanent position that of those who are in Christ Jesus. We don't move back into condemnation every time we sin. Um, that would leave Paul back in chapter 7 under condemnation again. Um, and also, it would leave me and maybe you and maybe the rest of humanity that follow Jesus, right? So let's look at this word a little bit further, though, and, and maybe this will help. So why is there no condemnation? Oh, I'm not ready for this yet. Because in Jesus Christ's body, our sin was condemned at the cross, okay? Look at the end of verse 3 here. This is what I was looking for. That's not it. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, which is also to be a sin offering. For a sin offering, he condemned sin in the flesh. So in Jesus' perfect flesh, God executed it, okay? That's a term that scholars have used all down through the ages. Sin has been executed at the cross. So justice has been served. We are not going to be tried again in court. Um, so if the condemnation for your sin was met at the cross, how could there be any condemnation left for you, right? Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, and it is finished. Um, this is why anybody can be saved. Um, anybody, the payment for all sins, the worst of sin was met at the cross. God is holding out grace now. Uh, Jesus says in John 6, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. He will never turn you away, no matter what you've done or where you've come from, if you come to him in faith. So this is the time of grace for us. Now there's an important statement in this verse. And that's this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? So that is who the promise is for, is only those that are in Christ Jesus. So we need to know what does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? And the phrase is so vital because either someone is in Christ Jesus and under the blessings and favor of God, or they are in the flesh, what's called in the flesh or outside of Christ Jesus, and eternally separated from God um, you can't just be a little bit of a Christian. You're either living in union with God, with Jesus, or you are dead in your sins and under God's wrath, as we talked about last week. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. So being in Christ in this passage is being in union with him by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells a believer at salvation. The Holy Spirit is fully God, 
He is the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he comes to live with us as a counselor and, or a comforter, it's also called, a sanctifier. He comes to make us holy. And he ministers to us in so many ways. But one of the most marvelous ways that he ministers to us is he enables us to understand God's word. He helps us to understand when we are hearing God's word, when we are reading God's word, um, marvelous truths about Jesus Christ and the gospel. So now in regards to being in union with Christ, Paul had already mentioned the Romans back in chapter 6, which we didn't cover. Again, how many of you read through chapters 1 through 7 of Romans? Raise your hand. Okay, okay. Well, then you'll be familiar with this. Um, so Paul had already mentioned in regards to our union with Christ that when Christ died on the cross, we died with him. Our old self died with Christ. So that when Christ, was when Christ rose from the dead, when he was raised, um, we, ra we were raised up too in a brand new life. We're a new creation and we are born again, right? So our whole identity is in Jesus Christ if we are believers. And chapter 8 really emphasizes all the way beginning to end who we are in Christ, or better yet, whose we are in Christ. And that is why the Holy Spirit is mentioned 18 to 19 times, depending on um, the way that you, the exegesis of one verse that you, that you look at. But, um, and when our passage today says, the Holy Spirit in you, uh, it's the same as saying Christ in you, Okay. And Jesus tried to communicate this to his disciples um, in John 14, and I'm going to put it up here in a minute, but you'll see that he calls the Holy Spirit the helper or the counselor in other versions, and he calls him the spirit of truth in the passage I'm going to put up. But first in the passage, he's talking about the Holy Spirit in them, and then he says that he's in them. So he uses this Holy Spirit interchangeably with himself. Just as throughout Romans 8, Paul uses the terms the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of Christ interchangeably in Romans as well. Okay, here's our passage. And I will ask the Father, this is Jesus speaking, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's a key phrase there. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet, in a little, yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Okay? So if you are in Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, he lives in you by the Holy Spirit, and there will be no condemnation for you forever, no matter what your past, no matter what your, your yesterday, um, no matter the mistakes you made in relationships, the mistakes that you made in parenting, there is no condemnation if you are in Christ Jesus. And we can trust in the authority of God's word, um, not on our feelings. So our principle for this section is this. Those who are in Jesus Christ will never be condemned or separated from God. So regardless of what section of Romans this verse is referring back to, and, and that's disputed by scholars, I have to think that Paul really wanted to comfort us with it 
especially those of us who have experienced the crushing reality that we've sinned after salvation. I don't know if that was a revelation to you <laughs> after you came to Christ. But um, so I think that he really wanted to comfort our hearts um, with this first statement. And I'm going to show you something in just a sec. But if we, if we put Romans 7, remember the last little part we talked about with Paul last week, if we put it up with this verse, and I don't know if many of you forget, but there was one little line at the very end of Romans 7. Some scholars believe that that line is out of place. That sentence is out of place at the end of 7. So if we look at it and take, take what some scholars say and that that last little um, sentence is not supposed to be there, it reads really wonderfully. So I want to show it to you. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you see how beautifully that flows for Paul. And I think that um, he, he wanted to tell the Romans that, and he wanted to give us such relief um, for those of us as well. So how does it feel to know that you have received something so wonderful from God and something that you just never earned, you never could earn? It's a pretty wonderful feeling, isn't it? Do you find yourself sometimes doubting um, whether you're truly free. I mean, could this really be true? It almost sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? Um, so is there any sin of yours that the cross did not cover? Uh, what is keeping you from believing this comforting word this morning? So let's go back to our outline. The next section is in Christ, mindset on the spirit. So Paul continues on with his letter, and oh, am I gonna am I supposed to put this up yet? Oh no, not yet. Um, since several versions of the Bible keep verses one and two together in one sentence, like the King James, and I think the King James adds another little phrase in there too. But um, I'm gonna leave verse one up there when we go there. Let's see. So for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So Paul is not giving us a new law here, um, a law, <laughs> okay, my secret's been revealed, here's my Hershey's Kisses, yeah, it is, but I was worried it would all be stuck in my teeth, <laughs> so, um, so here we go, Paul's, last week it was the fly, and then this week it's the flying chocolate, um, so Paul's not giving us a new law here called the law of the spirit of, of life that we need to obey. The word law here means principle or authority. So the principle of life has set you free from the previous authority that was in your life the, of sin and death. Paul's saying you have a brand new life guiding you now. Um, it's the Holy Spirit living in you, Holy Spirit of God. You're delivered. Christ's spirit has taken over, okay? So Jesus Christ is the answer for both salvation and for sanctification, and this will become more clear as our text progresses this morning. So let me put up verses 3 and 4. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, a sin offering, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be filled in us, who fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Did, um, did you enjoy that verse this week? <laughs> Didn't make a lot of sense to you. I must admit 
that I spent the most time on this verse than any other verse that I went through. And that's because there was so much different thought about it. And what I had previously had just taken as to be, you know, just that's what it is, I came to find that there's some wonderful scholars that believe actually a little bit differently on this. So, um, so let me move to this here. So where am I? Okay, got to assume the law. Here we go. So the law, I'm sorry here. So the law couldn't remove our condemnation. It couldn't justify us or give us what we needed for salvation. It was weakened, as we see here, by the sinful flesh, our sinful flesh, um, we, since we couldn't keep it. Um, nor could the law produce anything good in us after we were saved, as we saw with Paul last week. But God could do what the law couldn't. So he sent Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh, and note the word likeness only, um, sin-free in a human body. He sent Jesus to the cross to die as a sin offering, and it was there that God condemned or executed sin in the body of Jesus Christ. I think I'm missing a page. I'm very sorry. Oh, no, no, I'm good. Um, so let's look at 2 Corinthians. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So he removed our con condemnation, and we fulfill the righteous requirement of the law. The law could never do anything like this. Remember, the problem isn't with the law. The law is perfect. The law is holy, and we love the law. The problem is with man. We can't keep the law that we love and hold as precious. As the law, as we saw last week, actually stirs up um, the desire to break it within us. So let's go back here. So what is the righteous requirement of the law? And how is it fulfilled in us? And so when it came to the different interpretations, the scholars were in agreement when it came to the description of what the righteous requirement was. Um, they either said obedience or love, which if you look at a few of these following, following passages, they're really the same thing. Let me show you. Love does no harm to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus also told the, the Pharisees back in Matthew 22 that loving God and loving others were the two greatest commandments, and that's what the law was all about. So we're right on track if we're saying the law or we're saying obedience because they're both one and the same. Love is the goal of the law. And so love is what is walk, walking in love is walking in obedience. So let's go back here. So the differences that crept up with the scholars in regards to verse 4 um, was not about what the righteous requirement of the law was. It's just how it's fulfilled in us. And so if it's a little heavy, so I don't know. If you want to close your ears, go ahead. <laughs> you don't like heavy stuff. But one author said it a lot better than I could. I kept writing it out and writing it out, what I know to be true. But one author said it much better, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you that. There is debate over what, fra what the phrase means in 4a, so that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Many scholars whom I respect, F.F. Bruce, John Piper, Martin Lloyd-Jones, and I would add Keller too, um, Mr. Keller, understand this to refer to the obedience of Christians who walk by the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit 
enables them to obey God's law. Thus, the verse refers to sanctification, being set apart to God in holiness, right? Here's the other camp. Others, John Calvin, Charles Hodge, and Douglas Moo, point out that even with the Spirit's power, no believer fulfills the righteous requirement of the law. If you keep the entire law and stumble at one point, you're guilty of all of it all. Only Christ completely fulfilled the law by his perfect obedience and sacrificial death. Thus, the first part of verse 4 refers to Christ's perfect righteousness applied to our account through faith. Now, the only thing I want to add to that is that Mr. Keller and, and those others, they don't say that we live out love perfectly, and that's kind of what he's saying here. They, ne they never go that way, but I can understand what he's saying. But no matter how you slice it, we are in good company. I mean, both of those groups, I think we're in very good company. Um, it's just what the verse is referring to, and it kind of lays the foundation for understanding the rest of the passage. But either way you look at it, God did what the law couldn't do. The law couldn't make us holy. The law couldn't give us salvation, right? Couldn't make us obedient. So again, in Christ is everything, salvation and sanctification. Let's move on to verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So I underlined the word minds there. Um, you can probably tell where we're going. But which, which uh, let me see here. So Paul, con Paul is contrasting here. What I want to say is that the difference between life in the flesh and life in the spirit, right? They're two completely different places to live. And they're two completely different identities, um, real identities. Someone's either in the flesh uh, and, and which is mostly called unregenerated humanity, or else they're in the spirit, which is in Jesus Christ. And this has to do with where the mind is set and the whole devotion of life um, according to whose you are, who you belong to. Uh, one, what are the results? One is death and one is a place of life. So um, I'm, I'm going to put this chart up here that I thought, I put it together and I thought it might be helpful in really um, contrasting the two. So, those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the spirit. So, those who live according to the flesh are under the principle of sin and death, okay? Sin brings death for them. Um, they walk according to the flesh. They set their... Walk really just means to live. They live out, you know, they live according to the flesh. That's their whole purpose. They set their minds on the things of the flesh, and that's death. Their mind is hostile to God. They do not submit to God's law and are unable to. They, ha they have no capacity for it. Um, they cannot please God, and they do not belong to Christ. And if they live according to the flesh, or if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. In contrast, the Spirit, you know, we, the sp those who live according to the Spirit are under the principle of the Spirit, which is life. The righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in them, they walk according to the Spirit. In other words, they live according to the Spirit. They set their minds on what the Spirit desires. Um, they, their mind is life and peace. The Spirit dwells in them. And the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And that depends on, again, how, 
what you think the spirit is in that verse. Um, it's the same word as it in. It, it's the same word as our spirit. I think it's um, what is it again? Pneuma. You probably know because you're doing the best. How do you say it? Ruwa. Okay, I've just always read the you know read what's in the concordance. Pneuma or something like that. But um, anyhow, so did I finish this yet? Spirit dwells in them. The spirit is life because of righteousness. I just said that. Life to our mortal bodies through his spirit and then put to death the deeds of the flesh and live, right? So which place looks better? <laughs> I think we all agree. I think we all know, know where we are too. Um, so we need to probably ask some questions. What is a mindset, right? Or what does it mean to set the mind on something? So... These are just some things, some quotes that I found. So the mindset is the intellectual activity and will. And Timothy Keller says, I think it's in the book, I don't remember if it's in the workbook, to be preoccupied with it, to have the attention and the imagination totally captured by it. It's also been said that it means whatever we're governed by, whatever is our inclination or purpose, the heart's direction and desires. Okay, so those are some definitions of the mindset. So then we might want to look at what is the flesh. I mean, we talked what, about what, who the Holy Spirit is, but what is the flesh? So here's some quotes. The flesh is the sensuous nature of man. It's the earthly nature of man apart from divine influence and therefore prone to sin and opposed to God. Everything that is opposed to God in his ways. I like that one. That one's easier to remember. It's just anything that's not of God. <laughs> that's of the flesh. Um, fallen human nature, uh, born in sin from Adam. Flesh is the I who tries to satisfy me with anything but God's mercy. In a word, it means worldly mindedness and sinful nature, as we know from the NIV, which a lot of us have grown up on is the NIV. So... What are the works of the flesh? Oh, wait. What are the works of the flesh? That's what I have here. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity. These are just, this is not a comprehensive list before I go any further, but it, it shows us a good picture. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgy, and things like these. Okay, so the list goes on and on and on. Um, so let's look at what the fruit of the Spirit is, though, in contrast to all those ugly things. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. So really a world of differences you can see there. Um, let's, let's move on to verse 9. Oops. I think we already got that up there. And that's not it. <laughs> okay, so I'm already got there. So if you get a chance, what I wanted to say in our previous passage you know, I have to wonder because I had finished this and then I was on the computer this morning and when I went to put it on my floppy disk, it goes, do you want to save changes? And I went, I don't think I made any changes to it, but now I can see there was some stuff in there. 
But if you get a chance, you know, what we just talked about, those verses that you see down at the bottom, the sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality of the flesh, and putting to death the deeds of the flesh, those are from, you know, Galatians 5. And it's really a wonderful companion chapter to what we're going through in Romans. So I want to encourage you to read that, that chapter. And I don't know if Mr. Keller said that also in his book. But anyways, our identities are wrapped up in where we live. Okay, in which city we belong to. Do we belong to the city of the flesh? Do we belong to the city of the spirit? You know, I don't want to call it a city because it's the holy God. But anyways, my husband has a saying, and maybe just because I saw this word here, and he says, you can visit Pity City, but don't move in. Who's heard that before? (laughs) You can visit Pity City, but don't move in. But I think the better answer is scripturally, don't visit. Don't visit. Don't go there. The flesh is a place of death. It's a condemned place. And it's no place for us as believers, right? We have no business partaking in the flesh. It's not our home. Yet the flesh invites us over to visit quite a bit, doesn't it? It does. So Paul says in Galatians 5, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Now, he wouldn't have said this if we were not capable of indulging the flesh, right? Remember we talked about the the idea of perfectionism that was going around back back then that that were perfect after Christ you know we never sin anymore but Paul would not warn us you know not not to indulge the flesh that's not who we are we we want no place uh, with the flesh um, so a child of God will never be happy living in the flesh we will be miserable if we're living in the flesh we'll be apart from the life giving Holy Spirit. You know, we will we will not recognize the presence of God as we do when we are walking uh, in the Spirit and when our whole mind is set on the Holy Spirit. So, I don't know if you've noticed, but when you are so preoccupied with the things of the Spirit, that the things of the flesh just have no sway over you. You don't even mind them at all. So, the principle for our section is this. Those who are in Jesus Christ are preoccupied with the Spirit. Those who are in Jesus Christ are preoccupied with the Spirit. Have you heard the phrase, you are what you eat? I mean, I don't know if that's from my generation. There's a lot of young people here. Has everybody heard that before? You are what you eat. The idea is, like, if you were to go into Cinnabon and you, you know, you eat like a 12, <laughs> the 12, K, 12 pack of Cinnabons, you know, or something, that the internal composition of your body is going to change and not, not for the good, right? So we actually become a walking Cinnabon if we eat <laughs> that many Cinnabons. But if we, who belong to Jesus Christ, continually set our minds on the things of the Spirit, we will change, too, internally. We will become more like our Savior, which is the goal of sanctification. It's a spiritual change, which is far better than anything that the world has to offer. But the problem is, is that we like our Cinnabon, don't we, right? We think it's going to bring us more satisfaction, you know, than the words of the Lord. We think it's going to make us happier. But the point I'm trying to make is, if you set your minds on the Spirit, you'll be satisfied, right? Um, It's not, we won't. We won't feel hungry in an hour after we spend time with the Spirit. Listen to what the Lord says in Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come and buy and eat. 
Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the riches of fare. So be preoccupied with the life-giving food that the Holy Spirit gives us. So by way of application, what are you feeding on these days spiritually? Remember, we are, we are what we eat. Is it in line with who you are in Jesus Christ? Have you felt the nudge of the Holy Spirit calling you to something so much better than, where, than the place that you've been visiting lately? So let's go back to our outline. So in Christ we will live is our final section. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. The new NIV uses the, the phrase in the realm of rather than that word in. Um, and I like that a lot, although I couldn't find it in a concordance. So <laughs> I don't know where it came from, but I really like it. So I'm going with it. So you're not in the realm of the flesh. Right? You're in the realm of the spirit. And since a realm is like a domain or a kingdom, um, I thought it was very fitting because there, again, like we said, there's only two places where we can have our real home in the flesh or in the spirit. Those who live according to the flesh uh, or to the spirit want what Christ wants. And that may be why you are here this morning. And I know that many of you um, have been believers, at least from our small group last week, you've been believers since you were very, very young. But how many of you in here, and maybe it's just me, I'm hoping it's not just me, how many of you in here 10 or 20 or 30 years ago never thought you would be sitting in a Bible study? Anybody? Am I the only one? 40 years ago. 40 years ago. <laughs> you know, the South really puts me to shame. Um, I'm from Seattle and. I came here, and all of your neighbors are Christians. Back in Seattle, you had to dig under rocks to find, you know, a solid believer, at least in the area that I lived in. So I'm, I'm so jealous. I just have to tell you, I'm so jealous of all of you that came to faith in Christ early on and probably saved yourself a world of heartache. But anyhow, God places the believer in a brand new realm, a brand new kingdom, and a brand new life. So another thing that we see in our passage about having Christ in you is that he will resurrect your physical body, right? But if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. So Paul talks about that, um, that even though the body is dead, in other words, um, the body is moving towards death. The, you know, death is the ultimate destination for our physical bodies. You know, it's as good as dead to us now. Um, even though our body is dead and dying, um, our spirit is alive in a new and a wonderful way thanks to the Holy Spirit living in us. Um, the Holy Spirit is life-giving. Um, other Bible versions say it this way, like the NIV, but if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. So there it's the Holy Spirit. And again, it's that same word, um, which Rose said was Ruah. Ruah. Okay, Ruah. Um, so if the spirit of him, Paul goes on in verse 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies 
through his spirit who dwells in you. So the same omnipotent spirit of God um, that raised Jesus Christ is, is, is in us. And that's just unfathomable. And he will rec- resurrect your physical body. And this, of course, is in the future. Our earthly bodies are corrupt and our members have been used for sin. So we can't take these bodies into glory with us. You know, they're, they're not made for the life that we're supposed to have with our Lord. Um, but God has made provision for these bodies too, which when you really think about it, it's really wonderful that he would care so much about our physical bodies. But we have that because Christ was resurrected. His body was resurrected and we're in union with him. So we're going to be raised as well. So this is also good. We have eternal life. We have life here with the spirit. And then even our physical bodies are are going to have resurrected life as well. So God gives full salvation. He leaves nothing out. So then Paul says in verses 12 and 13, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So after all this is said and done, or after all this has been said by Paul about living in the flesh and living in the spirit, he says we're debtors. And other Bible verses say that we, are, we have an obligation. We have an obligation to God because of all that Jesus Christ has done for us, for the gift of the spirit, for, um, you know, Jesus' death at the cross and resurrection, right? We, we owe God our entire lives. There is no condemnation for us. Um, so it says here, we have an obligation to walk by the Spirit and by the Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body, and we will live. Jesus came so that we might have life and have it more abundantly. Remember, we're under a brand new authority, the Spirit of life. We are no longer under, um, you know, the law and sin, this principle of sin and death. So the question that everyone wants answered is, how do we put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit, right? I mean, is everybody wondering that? How do we put to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit? Um, We all really want to live, right? Like it says in this, this passage, well, it's not by our own power, and it's not by the law, as we saw last week. We cannot do it. And um, if you'll just bear with me a minute, it's the same way that we receive salvation. It's by faith in God's word, okay? And I remember someone told me that 20 years ago, and I went, no, that, you know, that doesn't make any sense. But, you know, I couldn't figure out, I couldn't understand why or how that could be so. I wanted to learn, you know, fast every Tuesday, (laughs) never miss, you know, church, etc., some sort of prescription for how all of a sudden sin was going to be out of our lives. But it's by faith in God's word. And what I mean is this. Remember last week where we said the righteous will live by faith, okay? Um, When we set our minds on the spirit, like Paul spoke of in this passage, our whole being in faith is turned towards the spirit. Our whole being in faith is turned towards the Lord and to his word to the gospel, to Jesus, who we are now, all of the promises that he's made to us and our future with him. And it's by faith also we see we count ourselves dead to sin and alive to God. And we count ourselves dead to sin and alive to God because God has said that's what we're to do. We're just to count ourselves dead to it. It no longer has a hold over us. 
Um, the word of God is the sword of the spirit. When we set our minds on the things of the spirit, there is no room for the flesh. We are overwhelmed with the beauty of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Galatians 5, again, there's a Galatians 5 verse. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Okay, so there's our answer. Walk by the spirit. And I thought it would be good to um, end this section with a quote by John Piper in his third and really summary message called Killing Sin. Has anybody listened to that? I was wondering if Kathy maybe had picked that one up. But he says this. So put to death the deeds of the body, as Romans 8.13 says, by the spirit. We must set our minds on the things of the spirit, which we now see means set your mind on the word of God in scripture. So this is the third of his three uh, messages on killing sin. So you can just skip over the first two and get to the summary message, right? He says, glorify Jesus by taking the sword of the spirit, the promises of God, purchased by his blood and set your mind on them. Bank on them and be satisfied in them. And the power of sin will be broken and sin will not have dominion over you. Okay? Oops. Let me put this back. Okay. All right. So our final principle for this section is this. Those who are in Jesus Christ have life. There was a young girl <clears throat> who worked in youth ministry at a church that I was in back in Seattle. And I, I worked there too, not in youth ministry, but I was there. And I, was ne I remember one day I was next to the copy machine and just, the sweet, just a real sweet girl. And she comes up to me and she says to me, um, you know, just she looked really concerned and she says, I'm going to die. And I went, and she says, I'm, I'm dying. And I go, why? And she goes, well, eventually I'm going to die. I'm, I'm, I am dying. I'm on my way to death. And I just had to punch her, you know. But it was so, I mean, she had me like all up and, you know, all torn up inside. But, um, but, you know, then I realized it's all true, right? We are all going to die. Some die sooner and some die later. And no matter, you know, what we do, you know, no matter how much vitamin C we take or whatever, it's God's appointed time for us to die. Yet even our bodies are going to be raised just as he was. And this is all due to the gracious gift of his spirit, which is a deposit that guarantees the inheritance that we have been promised. What a loving God really to care for us so completely beginning to end. Um, salvation, sanctification, and resurrection. God's goal is to, re is to renew and to transform us completely for his glory and for his great pleasure. Now, we know that we need to keep our bodies healthy, right, so that we can serve the Lord and our families. But how does know, knowing that your body, your physical body, is on, on a path to death um, change, you know, how you view your body, especially as we grow older and we find that they're less lovely to look at? Does it change the way you view your body? How does this encourage you to place more focus on the life that you have in the Holy Spirit while we have these years left in this body. Um, so in closing, we just, we spoke about the things in the beginning that define us, and God has given us many wonderful things that make us who we are. But after looking through this passage today, I hope you realize what was, what is the most important being in Christ, okay? So.
Let's pray. Can we pray? Father, what can we say to your great love for us? What can we say to all that you've done for us, your great mercy that we received at Jesus Christ, and your comforting Holy Spirit who gives us such great counsel and love? Why would we want to live anywhere else but with you and in you? We are so overjoyed at the promise of no condemnation. We are overjoyed at the truths of your word that we heard this morning. I pray that they will penetrate deeply into our heart and that they will affect true change in our life. Um, we thank you and I ask your blessing over the small groups this morning that we will all magnify your name as we talk about what you've done for us and about who we are in you. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.